Hello everyone, this is Rohit with the Oregon Donation Awareness Corporation, and today we have the interview of Shirley, who is a teacher that was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis, a dangerous lung disease, and she actually received a double lung transplant. So let's listen to her share her experience. Hello, my name is Shirley Brill. I'm a double lung transplant recipient, and as of 2023, soon, it will be for 15 years. My story begins as an elementary school teacher. Uh, all of a sudden, my symptoms started as I started getting short of breath, and it was more difficult for me to go up and down stairs and chase after an active bunch of fifth graders at my elementary school. After a continuous amount of feeling the shortness of breath, I decided one day to go to the emergency room. Um, after examination, they couldn't exactly tell me what was wrong, but they suggested that I see my primary care doctor. So after a short while, I viewed him and immediately I was placed on oxygen because my oxygen level would drop. That was the key factor in determining what was wrong with me. Um, for a while, I stayed on two liters of oxygen and was referred to a pulmonologist very soon. As time passed, uh, the condition started attacking me aggressively. Um, I was placed on several inhalers and other medications, but it seems like nothing seemed to help. Um, after he treated me for a while, finally, he suggested that, uh, I think the only thing that's going to help your situation is you're going to need a lung transplant. And I don't know about anybody else, but when you hear those words for the first time, you know, I immediately thought, <laughs> surely he doesn't know what he's talking about and that can't be true. I've heard of a transplant, but I, of course, would have never thought that I would hear those words in my life. But to cut a long story short, he was absolutely correct. After several testings and a second opinion, it seemed that all the medical doctors that I was referred to had the same reply. This is not going to get better, and we suggest that you seek consultation for a lung transplant. After my second opinion, I was referred to Mayo Clinic. And at Mayo Clinic, I was diagnosed at first with interstitial lung disease. As time progressed and the condition worsened, I then uh, started evaluation. And at that time, I was diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis which meaning they do not know where it actually came from, the condition. And pulmonary fibrosis actually deals with the scarring of lung tissue. So eventually as time progressed on, I moved from two liters of oxygen to 15 liters of oxygen. It was very difficult to breathe. Um, I had the oxygen tanks wherever I had to go. I continued to teach, um, and this sickness actually dwelled with me for three years. 
finally, January of 2008, I was diagnosed with end-stage lung disease. My condition had not gotten better, and I actually was at death's door. And I realized that there was oxygen tanks everywhere I was, in the classroom. I was a musician at my church. Um, in my home, there were concentrators. It was just oxygen, oxygen that was sustaining me. So after being evaluated and listed January 2008, of course, by that time, I was actually too sick to continue teaching. So I had to let that go for a while. On May 5th, 2008, I received the call. That's the good news that everybody waiting on a transplant wants to hear. I've got my call. It was a wonderful time because my daughter was visiting and she had prepared to go back to the city of Memphis where she lived. And as she returned back, she had forgotten a camera that she had at the house. And uh, I was telling her, you know, I think that was my call. Because as much as you look forward to that call, when you actually get it, there's just so many emotions that go through. You know, of course you're happy. The situation can change, but I think fear set in some too. But in the case of a lung transplant, somebody waiting on a lung transplant, there's no option like for kidneys. You can go on dialysis for a while or some other things that will sustain you. But for lungs, you either get the transplant or the other option is you pass on. So, of course, I didn't want that latter option. So um, after I sat there for a while, I shared the information with my friends. I think that I received my call and I am on my way to the hospital. Now, it's funny that I believe my nerves got bad and I just sat there for a while trying to soak it all in. Well, the time has come. It's time to get that transplant. My friends beat me there. And of course, when I arrived, I thought that it would just be a no-go. Not this time, Ms. Brill. We're sorry. Uh, we'll call you back. But to my surprise, this was the actual call and it was going to happen. So they started my surgery on May 5th, around 9 p.m. And on May 6th, my lungs began to work and I became a double lung transplant recipient. It was not planned for me to get two lungs because actually it was my left lung that was the worst. But when they came back to report to my family, well, we have the first one in. We're going to go back and do the second now. And everybody was surprised. And of course, this is a story they told me the second. And I think maybe that has a lot to do with the, the longevity of my successful transplant. I did receive two. And I am still here today because someone said yes to the gift of life. I want you to realize how important it is 
that there are so many individuals seeking that life-giving gift. There are eight organs that can be donated, and we need so many yeses. After recuperation and after rehab, I was able to return back to work. I had that transplant in May and in August, I was able to go back to the classroom, teach for six more years, retire, which I enjoy enjoying now, retirement. And after that, I began to focus with a group called the Multicultural Task Force. And we met and we talked about different situations and how we could help others become more involved in organ donation. Of course, by this time, it's very important to me because of course, organ donation did save my life. As a result of hearing some alarming statistics dealing with basically minorities, especially African-Americans, we found out that we are not likely to donate organs. Even knowing that we are the most, the group of people who need a kidney donation, we need them, but yet we are not donating. A colleague and I decided that we would go and form a Facebook page um, to try to get the word out, to help spread awareness, to help educate people because we know that myths and misconceptions um, are circulated and are passed on from generation to generation. You know, things like you hear that uh, they won't try to save me. I think that's the top one. They won't try to save me if something happens to me, if I sign up to be an organ donation, an uh, organ donor. And of course we know that's not true. I'm a living witness. And I didn't mention that even as a teenager, when I first received my driver's license, I did sign up to be an organ donor, not thinking that somewhere down the road and on my journey through life that I would actually need a transplant. But here I am now advocating for organ donation because I know the importance of it. But like I said, we sat down and we thought about how can we help spread the word. The friend, um, Walter, his wife was also an organ donor recipient. She had received two lung transplants and she was very supportive in my journey because when I had questions, I could always talk to her and I, well, let her know how I was feeling, my fears, my happiness, my hope, my disappointments. It was good to just have somebody to talk to because she had experienced what I was getting ready to go through. So we sat and we thought about a name for the group. We already knew the purpose because we did want to educate people so that they could not think that everything they hear is true. We wanted to also spread awareness because if we spread awareness, the more people who know, maybe they would begin to hear the truths 
and see people who look like us, who have actually lived and experienced a transplant journey. We came up with a name, the name Educating Minorities About Transplants. Is the group just for minorities? Of course not. The group is for everybody because facts about organ donation certainly is for everybody. What we try to do is spread awareness, just like our name. We want to educate, but we also register donors for the gift of life. We partner with Donate Life. We partner with our local OPO, which is the Organ Procurement Organization, which is LifeQuest here in Florida. We go out into the communities and we share our stories. Educating Minorities About Transplant is an organization, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. And in our organization, we have transplant recipients, we have caregivers, we have living donors, we have donor moms, anybody who's interested in the transplant community wonderful volunteers, ambassadors, anybody who shares their story. We are welcoming into our organization and it's growing because it's the need for people to donate is so important. Yeah, that was very well put. Um, thank you for sharing so much. That was really amazing. So. I can't imagine what the process is like between being knowing that you need it or like transplant and actually getting that transplant. Um, like you're going about your life unsure, uh, like I feel like you were saying. Um, so could you like just explain what that was like, how you sort of coped with that um, uncertainty um, as you were teaching and doing so much? Okay. Dealing with the uncertainty of knowing whether I would get the transplant was very difficult. Um, it became very important that I had a support team who was willing to help me during some of these things. It's an emotional journey because you don't really know. I'm a faith believer. I believe in God. So, of course, I prayed for my body to be healed because there is no cure for pulmonary fibrosis. Um, even the transplant is actually just a treatment. So I have been blessed, but because of people around me, my church family, caregivers, friends, family, you know, all of these people, you'll definitely need a support system because of course, every day won't be a good day. Um, there were many days when even considering the faith that I had, that you just think that maybe today may be my last day, that transplant won't come in time. And of course, in order for me to receive a transplant, that means somebody has to pass on. So someone's family is probably experiencing one of the worst days of their life. But yet they say yes 
to give hope to me and so many others who have received this unselfish gift. Yeah, that's, thank you. That's very well put again. I'll, I'll ask this question. You said that there's a lot of myths and like wrong information amongst people about the transplant process um, and organ donation. Um, did you personally like experience any of those like from family members, friends, were they telling you like, no, it's not a good thing. It's not going to happen. Why would you want to do this? And like, how would you tell someone to look past those myths and would it be educating themselves? So how, how does one get past something so powerful that can be your friends telling you you're doing something wrong? Um, actually, I did not have anybody who uh, expressed to me that I was doing something wrong. Like I said, everyone was supportive. And in my case, it was either live or die. So uh, there is no mid-ground. There is nothing that would help me in any other way. So um, everybody rallied behind me. Uh, my congregation, I know they lifted me in prayer. Like I said, I was the minister of music at my church. So, um, and even during this three-year uh, journey to the transplant, I continued my faith. I continued my service to God and to the congregation there. And nothing really changed except for failing health. The rewarding part of that is that belief and positivity has a lot to do with it. As far as the myths and misconceptions, I can relate that to now. Because like I said, the most common myth is if something happens to me, they're not going to try to save me. Or I would donate, but I can't have an open casket funeral. You know, those are some of the things that people believe. And there are so many others. Well, no, I want to take everything with me to heaven. I was born with this and I'm going to take it with me. And of course, we know that's not true either. After death, the body decomposes. So um, we try to rally against eliminating those things and getting people to think. Will everybody say yes to the gift of life? Of course not. It's not for everybody, but it is for those people who have a loving heart and compassion and those who can get rid of those myths, those misconceptions, and look more in the positivity of life in helping others. Because when we look at mankind, at some point, we all need some type of help. So it's important that you check yes for the gift of life. As a matter of speaking, that's our campaign for this year. One yes makes a difference. And that one yes could be whoever's listening now. How we go about it is we like to see the faces, hear the stories, and feel the love. Because once you see the face of an individual who has experienced a transplant, there can be nothing but gratitude. If you see the faces, you hear the stories. Hopefully you'll feel love in your heart and want to say yes. Be that one yes. So that was Shirley's story and it really shows the importance of organ donation. Some people 
are at the worst points of their life, experiencing deteriorating health and not expecting to make it. And when an organ becomes available for them to be transplanted, it can turn everything around and it can give them a new chance at life. Make sure to stay tuned to the next episode to hear more insightful donation stories.